Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Should we name our friend? I kind of, I'm trying to guilt him into coming on the show and he will probably listen oh. to this one. Should we? Uh, oh, let's guilt him. Let's guilt him. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. Even Joe doesn't. Joe, Joe, be very, we've been, we've been talking about getting him on for a while. This guy. We always talk about it, but he never comes. He never uh, comes. Maybe wait, this do you know one. who we're talking about? No, but it fits so many people fit this <laughs> the description. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I told you, I told you how Walter managed to get out of it for the next few months, right? God, he's always got an excuse. Well, no, he's, he's making a movie. No, he's often, no, he's that's often no new. excuse. <laughs> Come on. There's downtime in movies. You sit down while they're lighting. You can do exactly. Podcast. You get out of the zoo, <laughs> you get out of the zoo. But, uh, anyway, no. So, so our, um, our guest, I'm really excited because I met Shanann Keshke at a friend's house and we were debating beforehand. And I think we decided to, to, we're going to name him. Cause I've been trying to get him to come on this show for a while and he needs to hear how easy and fun it is, uh, at our, at our friend Walton Goggins house, uh, a couple of guys a couple months ago now. And basically, uh, Sinan and I sat down and started talking about documentaries and it was a great conversation. She has directed, uh, several features and shorts, uh, the diplomat, um, and she's the founding partner of majority, which is a company that, uh, produces documentaries by women filmmakers. And I was about 15 minutes into this conversation with her. And I was like, this, this is the kind of stuff we talk about on this show. And we've never done docs. So um, not only was I, I making a new friend and having a great conversation with her, I was um, uh, soliciting a guest, I guess, would be. Um, that a crime in some states? Uh, yes. I think it's called geeking out as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was grooming her, Joe. I was grooming her. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, we had this great conversation. I was like, we've never done docs. We need to do that. And, uh, and we also, we also need Walton to hear how, um, how fun this is. Cause, uh, I think he thinks it's going to be homework or something if he comes on the show and, uh, you know, he'd be a great guest, right? Sure. Well, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking her, but. Oh, I mean, he'd be, yes, he'd, yes. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be wonderful. I mean, just sitting in a room with Walton any old time is a good time. Exactly. Exactly. Better. Yes. Um, but anyway, I've also got a great topic that I've bounced on him. It's, uh, he's starting to soften up. So we will, we will get him. God damn it. This is the movies that made me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. But anyway, I wanted to, yeah, so we really have never done, I think once or twice some documentaries have come up um, recently. Uh, we did a show a couple Usually weeks ago. Usually when we're doing musical stories, they'll talk about Woodstock or they'll talk about festival or they'll talk about, you know, concert films. Yeah, that kind but of thing. very or, seldom do people actually uh, get into the weeds about documentaries. And obviously you make them because um, you like them. 
I'm guessing. I do. I do. I have that bug. I have that terrible D word infection. Yes. <laughs> and and did you did you come to making documentaries through that? I mean, were you like uh, uh, what, what was that journey like for you? Like, was it was it? I mean, I don't know. I just I guess I I grew up in the South, also like Walton, and uh, I mean lived in New York City and then moved to the South, and so I knew I was really different when I got there. So I was always really interested in, in hearing people's stories on sort of how they see the world, studied anthropology and became a journalist because I wanted to tell those stories. And I felt like I was having like one night stands when I was working in television news because you're just doing like a 30 second or a 60 second or right. you know, a 10 minute. Yeah, I was like, yeah. forget this. I want, a, I want a massive love affair. And so that's why I went into long form documentary. And that was a long time ago. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always fascinated by also just how much time it takes to, to make a good one. Cause um, it's just, it's such an investment of, of, of time and, and, and hoping that you're actually going to get something too. I mean, have you, have you ever, and we'll get into the stuff you, you make. And I think we talked about some of this too the other night, but it's really interesting to me. The, the notion that, um, you know, have you ever gone out, gotten everything together and started, and then just the, the movie never presented itself. No. Oh, because, good. Okay. No, because doesn't something else usually present itself. I mean, even if you start out with one topic, uh, the the massive material that you recorded usually ends up going in a, an interesting direction that you can then perfect, and then you can say, okay, this is what my story is really about. I thought it was about right. this, but it's turned out to really be about that. And that's one of the fun things about documentaries in the first place is you go in thinking it's going to tell you something about topic A. And when it's over, you know more about topic B than you thought you ever would. A hundred percent. And I also think it's, 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 the form has evolved over time, sure. right? We used to see them in, in schools on the 16 millimeter, like, you know, the, the scary drug documentaries. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we started to see things uh, like craft and form and, when technology changed too, when we were able to move cameras around, you know, so you started to see the change in, in, in the cinematic form of documentary filmmaking. And I, I actually see it much more like writing while you're in the field, like you're out shooting. And as you make those decisions, it's like you're crafting your page on the, you know, in a screenplay. Now, yeah, which gets back to my thing, because I think it comes out of my own neuroses. I have started scripts and then realized that they're going nowhere. And then you just throw them away, but you don't have a crew and you haven't invested, you know, anything more than your own time. It's not, uh, I don't know. One of, one of my favorites is American movie. And I always think about like, what, what would have happened if, uh, you know, nothing happened. <laughs> that would be great. Cause those characters are amazing. <laughs> That's true. You know, They're you know that amazing, something yes. crazy was going to happen. I, I love that it. movie. I yeah. almost put that on my list, but um, I knew you, you were going to talk about it. Oh no, I had no I, Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it is an absolute favorite. That's right. We did discuss that. It's, um, uh, an amazing film and, um, uh, yeah, you feel like with something like that, with that kind of doc, sometimes it feels like you've made friends, um, which must be weird for the people who are in the movie. Uh, yeah. Have. My editors always say, you know, they come up they're like, they really, they know people so intimately because really that rewriting process mm. of your script is in your edit room. And those editors really know like all the ugly moments. And when they meet these people, they know them better than they probably know themselves. Yeah. Very well, awkward. I, I mean, I always worry. I've met, you know, I've been in the business forever. I've met a ton of you know, really famous people. I know how to be fairly cool around them, but I feel like 
if I met Mark Borchardt and Mike Schenk, uh, I would freak them out, not with the effusiveness of my fandom, but it would take me five minutes to remember that they have no idea who I am. You know, I'm like, these are guys I know. I hang out with them. We've done acid together. We made a movie. You're like, oh, no, we haven't done any of that shit. That's got to be weird for them. Um, and but, uh, that's art. That's the yeah. art of real documentary. I mean, you really get that intimacy, right? Yeah. 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 Well, what are, what are, let's, let's just jump in. I want to hear about some of your favorite docs. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, I, I always wanted to make documentaries. I was in love with documentaries as even like as a nerd in school, like, you know, watching even Hollywood films, like the things that I was drawn to are like Dog Day Afternoon. Like, you know, it's, it's real and it feels gritty and it has that sort of um, intimacy, like I was saying. It's like, those are the kind of uh, 70s films that I loved, right? Um, French Connection and the like. Right. Um, but with documentary, it felt like you get a chance to understand a person's point of view without really having a narrative arc so clearly defined mm. in the outset, right? Like, you know, you don't have to worry so much about, is it going to fit this, this three-act structure? And I think when I really realized that about um, documentaries being cinema was, was really when I started to see the works of the Maisels brothers, right? Um, many of us know who they are. They were two brothers in New York City in the 60s, and they made incredible documentaries. We know Grey Gardens. A lot of sure. people do know Grey Gardens, yeah. but... The one on my list is Salesman because um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that film or not. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, 1967, 68, something around then and black and white film about a group of Bible salesmen, door to door Bible salesmen. Sounds like real dramatic stuff. Um, but there's something really beautiful in that simplicity of it. Of, I mean, look, we've got death of a salesman. It's kind of there for you, right? You sort of see that, desperation and the salesman going door to door, but also sort of their belief in it. And, and the way the Maisels were able to go deep in, in just not, not doing anything right by standing back and watching was like this kind of freeing moment for me. I was like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you film someone and, and make them forget the cameras there? Yeah. How, right? how do you, <laughs> It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. And, and it's also just a really, uh, I mean, they, the, what I was saying about technology earlier is like, this was when this sort of cream of the crop early um, American, what they call direct cinema or cinema verite was really coming to its like, you know, peak. Mm -hmm. uh, D.A. Pennebaker was making his films because they were creating these like little cameras. We were using these things where you could just jump out of your car and start rolling. And if you're there, with one mag and you know you're going to film, you just sit back and you watch. And sometimes, and I know the Maisels didn't do this, but later people can sort of prompt you or say, you know, people will turn to the camera. I've had it happen to me all the time where people will say, okay, what do you want me to do now? And, and the answer is usually like, well, what would you normally do if I wasn't here? And then they, and they start to realize that that's how they can please you. I mean, I can say that in a, yeah. Right? It's like you're there. It's like actors like they want to do that. You're invested all this time and money and you've got these people standing around wanting you to do something. So you usually do it without having to to say anything to them about what would you do or make them do something. I think that really is the key. And that's what I I saw in Salesman. And that was the first film that really like 
struck me as like the simplicity of, of, right. of the cinema. You you know, like the, also, the question oh. about, about uh, how do people behave when there's a camera and, and how does that affect, you know, the reality of the documentary? Uh, you know, when uh, Albert Brooks made Real Life, which was a, a parody of um, The Loud Family, which was the famous uh, PBS series in which they moved yeah, American this family, family. And, uh, and, and basically lived with them. And, and like one of the kids came out on the show and, and it, it, changes happened that probably wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a film crew uh, living with them. And it, it just made me start to think about the difficulty of trying to get real uh, action and real emotion and real behavior from people who are aware that they're being filmed. I mean, you, you, we've all had cameras pointed at us and, and it, it doesn't exactly relax you unless you're an actor or something. I mean, you basically are kind of on your best behavior and you, you, know, you don't want to pick your nose or do anything that's going to be recorded for all time. But on the other hand, that's, uh, you've seen so many great documentaries where it's recorded the behavior of people who you just say, how could they do that knowing they were being filmed? You know, and this is all pre-jackass. It's not people who are being stupid on purpose. I mean, you know, right. just people being yeah. caught in their daily situations. And uh, it's, that's one of the things that's always fascinated me about, uh, about the art of documentary is the idea of trying to kind of get your subject to basically act as if you weren't there. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is an art. And I think people have this notion that you just sit back and you just let it happen. But there are things that you do that when the camera's not rolling, like, you know, have long discussions with the people, get them comfortable, spend time with them, eat dinner with them, be in their, you know, be in their existence as much as you can without the camera rolling. That's what I try to do. If, if you have the luxury to do it, which, um, you know, some, some people do and some people don't. I mean, that longitudinal documentary, I didn't put on my list, but one of the most wonderful films I've ever seen was Hoop Dreams. Right. They spent years and years yeah. filming those guys, those, those um, basketball playing high school students. And, and you go home with them and you wake up with them. And, and that kind of thing, ultimately, people really stop seeing the camera. It's this crazy thing that really does happen. And I think as a director, you have to really, director slash writer, because you're writing as you're filming, you make choices in the field. Right. Like, do I do I get up in the morning with them if I know I need to film something at two o'clock in the morning? Do I stay the whole day? Like, what are the what if you were going to direct your own life? Right. What would you what would you film and what would you not film? It's an interesting question. And it is it is a real craft, I think. And it's funny, when I first moved to L.A., I used to go. This was like in the 90s and late 90s. And I used to go to, you know, these kind of like schmoozy, fancy cocktail parties and people would say, you know, what do you do? And nice to meet you. And I was like, I'm a director. And then you'd get all these, you know, conversations started. And then you'd say, well, what, what have I seen that you might've made? And I, I would always say, you know, I make, I make documentaries and literally people would like, oh, excuse me. I think I see a friend of mine on the other side, right? <laughs> because like who cared about documentaries until, you know, Netflix and, you know, except for us. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's uh, uh, yeah. Welcome to Hollywood. I would right. say. Um, well, but there, is a, there is a rich tradition of documentaries. I mean, you know, for, for Michael Apted to be able to make Seven Up and then follow those people all through their lives as they some of them passed away and now he's passed away. Yeah. I mean, that's a record that 
I don't think it's been matched by anybody. I don't think anybody's ever been able to do that. And to, and to have the fortitude and the stick to to say, okay, we're going to do this again now. It's five years later, and now we're going to make the same film again. We're going to see where these people are. I mean, that's, a, that's dedication. And it's genius, honestly, to be able to identify what is a theme that can carry across like every seven years and still be relevant to a person's life and, and also be universal, right? They're very, in these documentaries that I'm going to mention and the ones that you've mentioned, they're really specific characters and some of them are really strange and some of them are very uh, inspiring, but yet at the same time, there's something that you see yourself reflected back in their lives. And I think there's a little magic in that, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you know you're not being played. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why people are, are rediscovering or younger generations are really starting to appreciate documentaries because we're, we feel like we've been manipulated so much by, by truth and reality. I think The Loud Family was really, to me, that, that was an incredible um, series, but it was also, in a weird way, the beginning of reality TV, mm -hmm. right? Because you wanted to see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and that stuff has morphed a lot over, over time. Um, I assume we'll probably get into, into more of that as we go, I suspect um but uh what's 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 next on your well i mean i mentioned penny um da pennebaker because yeah. a lot of people know his work and they know you know many people have seen bob dylan documentary yeah, dylan. don't look back and you know people mention music documentaries because that's a a great way in sometimes to watching a film because you love the music or the person but to me i found primary to be really inspiring it's about jfk and um, but what but what inspires me about it is the cinematography and in, in those choices that he makes. There's one shot in particular that I I try to put in every film I make. Like I just try to copy it and just an homage every single time. Um, it's it's the film it's the moment in the film where um, JFK walks out onto the stage to give a, a his speech, and uh, instead of filming from the audience POV what we saw and it, for me it was revolutionary and i think at the time was was kind of like revelatory for people is that penny filmed him from backstage and walked behind him so what you saw and what you felt was being put in the position of that character and so you see the lights and you see the people and you see him walk up to a podium and then he turns himself on right and that to me is like just so genius and we weren't able to do that one before we had small cameras like that Small cameras so that makes sense that's the one it's about the the uh, 1960 primary right is that yeah i've that's never right. i've never seen it um I, I need to it's really good is it it's really good and it's it's also really just humanizes someone who you also idolize at the same time and uh and i think that's what what both you know the mazels and penny and and the whole cohort around uh, direct cinema at that time. I think they, they there's, I, I don't remember the story exactly, but I think they were all working for Time Magazine or Time Life and they were given a budget to create, like tinker with some cameras and go out and film these like real life stories. Mm -hmm. And then this sort of grew, I, I may be wrong on that, but that's what I remember or inspires this idea of doing these kind of profiles of people great and ordinary. And yet, so you, what they do so well and Penny did so well is taking ordinary people and making them extraordinary and taking extraordinary people, well-known mm. people and making them seem real and accessible. Yeah. And that's just like, a, just blows my mind. 
Although there's still that thing with with the Dylan doc, at least where he. Um, oh well, he was just uh, such a jerk, and then yeah. <laughs> it's like, how do you how do you get into the mind of somebody like that? Uh, I yeah. and and that but that film is you know it's iconic. I mean, they're just yeah. they're yeah. just gen- It's just a genius of of um, of being able to be that fly on the wall in the car with Dylan, or being you know, wa- walking and seeing like sweat coming down someone's brow, right? Like you're right. that close. It's like you're standing right next to them. Well, yeah, with him, I just, I always wonder when I've seen that film is like, if there wasn't a camera here, does, does Bob just act like a normal person? Oh, I'll have to tell you a story of meeting him in a bar one day in East Village. I, I can't, that, or is I can't, that, okay, fine. I can't tell it. I can't tell it. I can't tell it. The answer is, is he a normal person? Well, yeah. Then there's that question, of course. Yeah. Could, could he possibly be? Um, who knows? Uh, cool. Yeah. No, I, I need to see that. I've, um, um, uh, primary is just sort of one of those movies that, uh, I've just never gotten to, but, um, I, well, I mean, the other now. thing that those guys did is like, they were really strict to the form, right? They were like no music. Uh, it's cinema verite. It's about reality. It's about framing things and watching it unfold. Don't talk to the people in the film. Um, you know, just hang back. Um, but I think that has changed, right? Like you've, as you see documentaries now, it's like graphics and animation and, you know, fast editing and, you know, all of the like, but even if, if you go back and watch those, there's very, very little music that pushes you into like leading you into what, they want you to feel. So they were sort of right. holding back to try to see if the form is pure. Well, and things, yeah, speaking of the purity of the form, I mean, I feel like the, those definitions have changed so radically. I remember when Thin Blue Line came out and people were just like, oh, that's not a documentary. <laughs> and and you look at what's being done now and it's um, uh, it's so radically changed. I mean, you're, you've got um, uh, movies where actually have actors, like even name actors, playing scenes in films that are being we're being told are documentaries it's um i do have is there still a big conversation in the community about what all that means and do you have strong feelings on it or is it uh... um i have strong feelings about all of it i mean it's like sometimes i can just be like i'm in a bad mood i'm like that movie just went over you know i'm just grouchy but generally i think um i think yeah i i think there there's something to be said about a a film that's being you know 90% reenacted or is it a film that's just that's the real the source material is there right there there're films out there that that now are are doing that and claiming to be documentaries and and i kind of take issue a little bit of yeah, that. Yeah, say by that standard, isn't something like Red's a documentary then since you have actors portraying the characters and then you cut every now and then to the actual characters giving real interviews on camera. I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't stretch the form. No, no, I, I wouldn't either. But I'm saying that it has it has stretched so much by now that you know you could almost see somebody trying to like what's the difference between that and um, you know, I have seen some docs recently that are that are that that are like name actors giving performances intercut with shots of real people talking. And I'm like, why is this not a why is this not just a feature? Or you'll see docs now or, or, or films that are made by filmmakers who say they're docs where the actor is reading real lines from, let's say, a transcript or, right. you know, and, and but yet the whole thing is staged as a, you know, it looks like a biopic or some sort, right? But is that a documentary? I, I don't think so. No, it's not. And the Travel of Chicago 7 is not a documentary. I mean, it's an interesting 
movie. It's a recitation, not entirely accurate, but a recitation of something that actually happened. Uh, but I, I think, to me, a documentary is real footage with real people in real time. Uh, and, you know, I, I grew up on Frederick Wiseman, who uh, was an amazing documentarian. I, I, I once met him at a film festival. And um, I, I, I told him, his pictures have titles like high school and hospital. And, you know, they were, and, they're, and they're long. You know, they're, 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 he, doesn't, he doesn't care about people's bones when he has to edit this stuff. He just, he just puts it out there. And, and usually there's, there's no voiceover. There's and there's no, no narration, no voiceover, no, no way. Of, it's, just, it's just take it or leave it. Here it is, right in front of you. And uh, I remember in, uh, in the hospital one, there was a scene where a kid threw up for an entire reel sitting in a doctor's office. He, just, he was coming down off some drug and he threw up for 10 minutes, literally. And I'd never seen anything like it. And I said to him, I said, why? What, didn't, didn't, you, didn't you think maybe you might want to shorten that? And he said, no. He threw it up. I filmed it. <laughs> he is the one and only Fred Wiseman. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. And, and I mean, Titicut Follies is such oh. an important film. It's a very difficult film to watch, as are many documentaries. But that one actually changed, you know, changed the world or at least helped change some of the laws in the country around. Um, yeah, well, you know, some of our listeners may not be familiar. And I know it's very hard to find. Do you want to tell them about Tidika Follies for a minute? Sort of describe uh, it. Oof. Uh, it's, it's about a, um, a mental institution. And it, it's, it's a long movie and it's all handheld cinema verite or Frederick Wiseman's version of that, where you don't, you don't blink and you don't flinch and you just kind of keep watching. And it, it is very difficult and yeah, I, yeah. it is, but it's also really um, important. It's an important document and it, and it can be used. And it was actually um, uh, banned for a while because it was so Long time. difficult. I mean, yeah. I don't even think it's yeah. very easy to find it any, anymore. I can't. I finally Maybe. saw it a couple of years ago. I'm not sure how. I it think it's been on Turner Classic movies it? once. Has it? Yeah. Oh, but you know, seeing that in on television is a different experience than seeing it projected, and you can't get up and leave, or you can get up and leave, but you <laughs> yeah. kind of can't change a channel. You know, get a cocktail. Um, yeah, but incredible, incredible work, and that, and there is you know drama in those moments, right? Of course, there are in in places like that, but like high school or know a fishing village or a factory right there is there's it's almost like a meditation about who we are as a as a country as who we are as a people yeah yeah it's tough and i did as i say i watched it on tv and talked about it as much as i could and then moved on because uh but yeah i couldn't imagine being sort of locked in a room in a theater and and quote unquote but, enjoying titty cut follies right right <laughs> i mean but i think a lot of people feel that way about documentaries they're like oh I just want to watch something that I can relax and not. They think of they think of it as homework. It's homework, and and it's and and a good documentary is just as good as a dramatic feature. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm it's so funny, happy huh? to hear you guys say that. You know, Nancy and I have had to a stage now where it's somehow I can't even describe it. I don't mean it's like if we're, you know, a long a long tough day and we just want to kick back and have a drink and relax and 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 not invest whatever you know the the energy required of a feature film um it's it's uh like, let's watch a doc which is a terrible thing i don't mean it because they're easier or somehow dumber but there's just something about them that's just um 
I, I don't know. I find them soothing now. Whereas, yeah, when I was a kid, I think they scared me away. But um, uh, well, there's some different now, yeah. too, right? Like you do have a kind of um, more uh, serial uh, in the sense of like C E R. Um, it's like kind of like that food that you eat in, and it's not super nutritious necessarily all the oh, time. Oh, well, yeah. Now you're talking about those, those, um, yeah. Should we talk about those for a minute? The, uh... Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause there yeah. does seem to be something happening. I mean, I, I feel like it, it's gotta be in general better to be a documentary maker today than it was say 10 years ago, but I've, I've seen so many and, um, these really are, I think of them as comfort food, these kind of dopey serialized, usually true crime things that are on streaming networks that, um, turn these horrific stories into, I, I feel very manipulated when I'm watching them. Like they're holding out information so that they can keep me coming back hour after hour after hour. And uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm sort of watching the doc version of CSI. You are, <laughs> you are, <laughs> you know exactly what you're going to get and you can, they're sufferific, right? You can, just yeah. Yeah, or you exactly. can you can lay back and you know watch and have a good time and not think too much about them. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I I that's the other thing is like are those docs as well? Yeah, you're using all the the tricks of the trade, so to speak, or the craft. Um, but I think sometimes where um, what we're seeing is kind of a redefining of that reality genre with all of these like not just the true crimes, but the sort of like crazy kooky stunt. Kind of films where you know they're you know what is that uh um who don't fuck with cats right did right, you guys see right. that one like yes. i enjoyed that very much and sure, it, it was crazy and you're like just kind of like wow these are some crazy people and you kind of can't stop watching it's like that kind of thing where it's like yeah once you start you kind of can't stop and you enjoy the ride and then afterwards you're just like did i did i have dinner i don't you know what, <laughs> what did i get out of this but um, not that that film is that, but there are some that are like that. And, and um, so maybe it is, it's sort of like this kind of highbrow reality um, form yeah. than that pure cinematic documentary form. And I don't mean to sound you know, snobbish about it, but I do feel like there's, it's almost like a different animal because you are structuring those in a way that you want to watch episode three and episode four. Yeah. 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 Should we watch another 25. one? Should we watch another one? Let's do another one. Let's do another right it's not they're bingeable there's yeah and it's not because i'm being edified i guess is it i'm just i'm like hanging on tenor hooks i'm like you know uh, is, is pauline gonna escape from the train tracks basically as opposed to that's well, why yeah. people watch soap operas you know yeah I mean, sure or real housewives the appeal. right right yeah. exactly but you know it's also about business right and so it makes sense for a network or a streamer sure to make a series instead of making a film because right. it just keeps them coming back for more mm -hmm. and your budget can go further and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And let's do 12 episodes instead of the three. It probably should be, right. you know, that kind of thing. So we we're seeing that creep in more and more. So yeah, I also, this, like this true crime thing is really interesting is like, of course, everybody likes to see a good, you know, mystery, but sometimes the, the violence of it is, is, it's really too much. And, and I don't, mm. I, I personally don't like that. Um, but I just read that channel four in the UK is starting. It's another channel. That's all going to be true crime. documentary. Oh. So that, there will be makes, many more to come. You that know. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I somehow, man, we, we never fell prey during a uh, quarantine to watch. Um, what was it? The tiger, what was the tiger thing? 
No, yeah. You watched it, Joe, didn't you? I watched the first episode and I was so horrified I couldn't watch the rest of it. Oh, okay. Because I there was something about that. I was like, I, I don't need to see this. That said, I can't wait to see Nicolas Cage play that guy in the feature <laughs> film. That, that will be fun. But I think they've decided not to do that. No! Oh. I, I think I think Cage decided that there just was really no need to play that character right now. Oh, well, okay. Well, I, right, Josh, I, I trust his a, instincts. There's, there's, there's a script in there for you somewhere. And then, then I have to watch the doc. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, what's, what's next on your list? Um, okay, so moving along, I, I have Harlan County, USA, oh. which is Barbara Koppel's documentary. So I was like, oh, there's lots of guys I'm talking about. And where's the, the woman filmmaker? I mean, of course, there's Agnes Varda. But Barbara Koppel, to me, was kind of that um, badass, young uh, whippersnapper woman, you know, who went out there to a really hard environment. And, and what I think inspires me most about that movie, besides the craft of it, is that, is that she wasn't taken seriously because she was a woman. So they just said, like, you know, what is this young student girl doing? So they just let stuff roll in front of her camera. They said stuff, they did stuff. I mean, there's that amazing shot of the guy who pulls the gun out and she captures it in the film. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's mm. worth seeing for that reason alone. But it's phenomenal. You know, she, yeah. she won an Oscar for a reason at that young age. It was her first film. It's just because she was so brave and in a dangerous situation and, um, and in an environment that was a real masculine environment. And so she inspires me for those reasons is that Every time I think about that film, I think about the fear that I feel when I go out to make a film, not just to go out, just filming or writing or creating is, is scary anyway, but when you're going to a war zone or you're going to meet someone who is, you know, might be a killer or might be, you know, somebody that you're, that is frightening, mm. uh, I think of Barbara. And so she inspires me and that film inspires me. Yeah, no, it's so good. It's about a, a um, was early 70s uh, coal miner strike in Kentucky. And it's funny because from what we were just talking about, you know, um, and not to say that you could possibly improve on the film, but there, there is a documentary that I would happily have watched 10 hours of. Because mm. that's a, a really interesting place and time and situation that she got into. I feel like um, you know, there's, there's plenty of room to go even deeper into those characters in that situation. Yeah. That, of course, isn't what you, yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, but I mean, I would watch murder, that. So. <laughs> there almost was one in there. Yeah. Um, but the other thing she did that was really interesting, I mean, it was 1973 when she made that film. Hmm. And um, she used music at the opening, the opening 30 seconds of that movie, I think are really smart because you know you're seeing a film that's going to be a, a story unfolding about a minor strike. So what does she do? Very simply sort of using cinematic, you know, narrative storytelling, she just takes you into the coal mine. She takes you into the coal mine and plays music, and she plays the music of the culture right there. And you hadn't seen that really in documentary at that point, right? Because everybody was so pure and no music and no leading. And this was like, I am there and you are with us, right? Like right there, bold. And that's, that was really cool, I think, and really smart. Oh yeah, I didn't really, you know, when I saw it as a kid, and then again later, maybe twenty years ago, never, not in the context of the the, the sort of rules it was breaking, I guess. So I yeah, never never really understood that that's what was happening. That's why. Well, she she films that first opening sequence is um, the coal miners putting, you know, getting in uh, the the shaft, going into the shaft, and how they go into the shaft. Yeah. It's like they literally like get on the thing and they they're being drugged down into the into the the earth 
and they're covered in soot and it's dirty and and she's going with them right so you're just like with the camera and you know she was in her 20s and she'd never made a film and you know she was just like i want to feel what this feels like so i'm going to show you yeah, it's an amazing film. And if you're listening to this and have not seen it, I, I, uh, highest, highest recommendation. I think it's on, it's probably, I think it's on Criterion right now. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well worth yeah, it. and if you can um, listen to her um, commentary, it's also very good. Oh, cool. Is there, a, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Hey, so we're just going to take a quick break and remind you that uh, thanks to our sponsor, MoviesUnlimited.com, proudly showcasing women in film all through the month of July, you're going to find most of the films we're talking about with Sinan and plenty of other great hard-to-find titles. Head over to MoviesUnlimited.com, the movie collector's warehouse. Website. Warehouse. It's like a warehouse on a website. Warehouse full of amazing movies on Blu-ray and DVD. I don't think they still sell Laserdiscs. So click the Movies Unlimited banner on our website and buy your favorites from hard-to-find films, imports, and more. Go now to MoviesUnlimited.com the movie collector's website where shipping is always free on orders over $50. So don't be afraid to spend a lot of money. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So I have this wild card of, um, we all know who Mira Nair is, or if we don't, we should, because she made some incredible films like Salam Bombay, which yeah, Mississippi Masala, uh, and um, many others. And um, I think as, as me, if you were talking about movies that made me, I think when I saw Salam Bombay, I think that was the first time I saw that use really of taking real people and making them into making stories around them and using their real lives, like in, in a real way, like she went to, to the slums of um, Bombay and found these kids and worked with them and created this uh, script and and use them as actors in her film and and that was you know later when Salam Bombay came out which was like I think in like 86 or something like that 80 87 something around that in the late 80s but before that she was a student at Harvard and she was studying film and she was making documentaries and what she did oh, yeah yeah she started um, at um, at Harvard I think in like 78 79 studying cinema and um, went back to India even though she's originally, I mean, she's Indian by descent, but, and still has family there, but she's, she's Ugandan. Um, but she went to India and started filming people on the street um, at mosques at temples. And then she started going into 
um, stories of ordinary Indian immigrants who are living in New York City. Like in, in, in 1982, she made a film about a newspaper seller in the subway, right? A guy who want, runs a little like newspaper stand um, following him. And then she made a film called India Cabaret, which is an incredible film because she goes into the sort of like dancing girl culture in, um, in Mumbai. And it, it was so radical. Nobody was talking about, when you saw Indian cinema or you saw India, you saw Bollywood, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, most people at that point hadn't even seen Bollywood if you weren't from the, the culture. So to be able to go in and talk to these women who are cabaret dancers in a very kind of sleazy environment um, and treat them like, like real human beings and giving them the voice that they didn't have before, that really inspires me. That's, that to me has been her um, inspiration all along is like trying to give voice to, to those that would remain voiceless, honestly. And she yeah, did it did. in such a beautiful way. I did not know about those, and I, I was just looking to. Um, it's 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 also on the Criterion Channel. Yeah, and Mississippi yeah. Masala is just fantastic. It's, I mean, it was yeah. groundbreaking at the time. I mean, yeah, I, what yeah. I, that's another show. Yeah, but no, I, you know, it's, it's uh, you don't you don't stay on the theme. But yeah, that, I just um, yeah, it's a gorgeous film. Yeah, it's just uh, I just remember her 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 use of color in that exactly. film is just uh, uh, glorious. Yeah, I mean, and you can see it in, in Salon Bombay, um, you know, it's this idea of that, that granularity of that feeling of like the night, the lights at night, sort of mm-hmm. Christopher Doyle kind of like, you know, Wong Kar Wai kind of feeling of saturation that you feel when you're really, truly alive in a place like that. Um, that's what you feel in her documentaries, too, which is which is really hard to do. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I'm definitely I'll check that one out, too. Important. Yeah. Um, give us give us another one so these two on my list i i I think you told me they aren't documentaries but i i i think they they have such a reality to them that they inspired 400 blows and the bicycle thieves um the way the kind of walls of the genre have been kind of pushed you you could almost pass that one off these days couldn't you well there's shushan too shushan i'm uh, absolutely i mean 400 blows is also based on you know, some of the things that happened to Truffaut and his childhood, right? So oh, it's very autobiographical. You know, right. When, he, when yeah. he's stealing Citizen Kane stills from the, uh, you know, a, 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 and I think he refers back to that in Day for Night. Right, right. And so you can see how, uh, you know, those kind of movies really have that kind of granularity of, of reality that, that make you feel something on a deeper level, um, the emotion that it pushes. And it uses a lot of the same techniques, right? I mean, of course there were lights and, you know, it was a film crew, but there's also these small cameras and this use of like, you know, in the French new wave to be able to just pick up, get in somebody's car and drive through the streets of Paris on, you know, with your camera held outside of your, you know, the rooftop of your car. So that kind of stuff is what I think um, for me, like I, I could watch those films over and over again and learn craft for documentaries, um, mm. watching them and their, their, their pushing of that form. It's, it yeah. all kind of is interconnected. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember seeing a, a Bicycle Thieves very, at a very young age the first time. Am I crazy? Didn't for the longest time, didn't we call it Bicycle Thief? No, it was released as the Bicycle Thief. Right. And then uh, somewhere down the line. in recent years that people have said, but you know, it's actually plural. Yes. 
Um, that always confused me. I thought, am I, am I, is it, is it one of those things I'm just like having this weird memory or something that didn't happen, but I remember as a kid seeing it and I, I did, I thought it was a documentary and I think I, um, uh, was kind of bored by it, but you know, it was probably 11. Um, you will sob. If you oh yeah. No, no. And then you see it again and, um, yeah, no, it's a glorious film, but yeah, it does. It does. It has such a, I mean, you're really there. It's, um, I think, in fact, I think I've, Saw it again as a semi-grown up in a class on Italian neorealism um, at film school, and just yeah, it's a breathtaking movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the like you said, Joe, it's like there; those are real people in the same way that Salam Bombay was, right? Like she's using super saturated, and whereas in in De Sica, he's trying to strip away, you know, this idea of what life was like after the war, mm. and um, but taking very simple stories, like something very small and making it kind of epic because you're looking at it from the point of view of your characters in such intensity and such immersion, which is what, you know, takes me back to salesman, right? Takes me back to primary. Yeah. It's about, it's always about character. Yeah. 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 So moving away from character and yes. really thinking about, uh, you know, what we think of as American documentary was a lot of PBS, right? We, we grew up on, on seeing mostly documentaries on, and sometimes it didn't seem exciting and it felt like medicine, but Eyes on the Prize is a, is a series. It was, mm. a, I think it was 14 parts. It was huge, yeah, it was weeks. weeks yeah, weeks, it was, yeah, it was made in um, 1987 by an incredible filmmaker in, uh, named Henry Hampton. And uh, he decided he wanted to tell the story of the civil rights movement, but really through archive footage and true stories of people who had lived through that experience. And to me, that was the first time that I was starting to see um, the opening up of storytelling from a perspective that usually didn't get heard on American television or in cinema. I mean, the film is so impactful because he told an alternate history. And it also told a story, what you think is a story of what you know uh, at the top level being around the story of Martin Luther King and, and the civil rights movement. But then he sort of brought you into the voices of the ordinary um, sort of soldiers, the streets, the foot soldiers, right? Who were also very much part of, of um, that fight and continue to be. So um, to me, that was a, that was a, a eye-opening experience to see that film and to, to see it presented where you let archive speak for itself. I think sometimes you see these archive documentaries that are so boring because you just see clip, 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 clip. And, but, but when somebody uses archive in a way that it tells a story itself, like, like I love in a documentary where you see somebody uh, before they think the camera's rolling and they're adjusting and, you yeah. know, Right, right, it breaks that wall for you. And it reminds you that like, there is a moment before that camera turns on and then now they're presenting. And it's, it's what you were saying earlier, Joe, is like, that's so, you, you forget. It's that, it's that moment of, you know, where do we choose to put the frame, right? Where do you put the camera? Where do you point the camera? It's that same moment. Um, with, and you can do it with the way you do a sit down interview or you do it with the way you actually roll out your archive footage in your films. and. And those are like primary sources that, you know, are just mesmerizing if you let them play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You're making me think of, uh, uh, cause I hadn't, I hadn't watched terrible things. I haven't watched anything on PBS in a long time. 
um, at least the way, because I remember when that came on, that was a, that was an event. Um, and we all sort of sat uh, and, yeah, and that watched was when PBS really kind of was an event. I mean, you know, it was it was public broadcasting and they had uh, they had a mandate to do a lot of interesting things that nobody else was doing. Yeah. Uh, with the sudden proliferation of thousands of channels, uh, it's become much harder for them to maintain that. Uh, uh, they, they can't just they can't just live on a steady diet of British uh, period. Pieces, yes, know? I mean, they used to do such contemporary things, and yeah. now so much of that has been dragged away into other other venues. I mean, I don't really know even what the setup is over there anymore, as far as you know, funding filmmakers or anything like that. Well, they they just did one um, that uh, I watched recently that's amazing called um, Philly DA. Do you know this show? It, it's um, and it's it's the kind. Of, it's a terrible thing to say because it's not just a, a phenomenal subject, but it's so well done. You're sitting there going, "Why isn't this on HBO?" Which is you know, it's more, it should be more like, "Why aren't there more of these on PBS?" But it's about Larry Krasner, who is the um, uh, the progressive DA in in Philadelphia, my my hometown, which is sort of why I tuned in. He's a uh, former um, defense attorney who, after spending, you know, I think he sued the Philly cops more than anybody ever had, and spent decades defending civil rights activists and having spent decades going up against the DA's office, uh, felt he had an understanding of it that would allow him to really fix things. Um, Cause Philly's got a terrible record uh, in terms of prosecutions and he ran and won and he just ran again and ran basically won re-election in the primary, incredibly popular, but he's been incredibly effective at uh, cleaning up their system there, which was insanely corrupt and incredibly punitive. And it's, it's so worth seeking out. So and what's the title? It's called Philly DA. And um, it's it's ridiculously entertaining and you'll be cheering through most of it because he's just doing things you're watching and you're like, yeah, this makes sense. This is how we ought to be doing it. You know, people should not people should not do two years for some minor crime and then 12 years on parole. It's just crazy. (laughs) And um, and he's and he's not only succeeding, he's incredibly popular. I say he just got reelected or is about to get reelected. He won the primary. But the doc is phenomenal. He gave them full access. And it really is about halfway through. You're like, oh, wait, I'm not watching The Wire. I'm watching a documentary that's just fantastic. Is it, is it all in one or is it in pieces? It's eight parts. It's eight parts. Eight parts. And wow. um, yeah, just just incredible. Cannot recommend it highly enough. I, well, PBS has two strands. So if you're ever looking for that are documentary focused, that are independent filmmaker focused and not sort of like the you know, the masterpiece theater version of documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, it's called POV. And then the other one's called um, Independent Lens. And that's, yeah, this was an Independent them, Lens one. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. fantastic films on, on both of those. And they're all streaming and you can watch them on pbs.org, I believe. Yeah, yeah or they're, they're, they're app. They've got an app. Their app, <laughs> yeah. Find it on your phone. Um, <laughs> Screw theaters. We have an app, Joe. Great. <laughs> we'll build an app for it. Yes. Um, uh, the next film that I chose, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's called Sherman's March. Oh, yeah, oh, sure. sure. Uh, yeah. Good. Right. I'm so glad to hear that. Such, a, such an interesting pretty, film. It's pretty famous. It is, but it feels like it's like, I don't know, like a lot of people haven't seen it because I, I don't think it's it's had its resurgence for the for the young'uns. Um, we all know it, but it, it was that kind of movie. I mean, I, as I mentioned before, I grew up in Georgia. I grew up in the South and... Um, Sherman's March, I had heard about in school when we studied the War of Northern Aggression. Right. Um, <laughs> this but, is not about that. Right. This is not about that. At least not directly. 
But it's a story, it starts off with a filmmaker trying to make a film about the, about Sherman's march to the, to the sea uh, through the South and as he uh, burned through many towns. And, uh, but what happens in the film is not what you expect. Um, it's not a spoiler to say that right at the top of the movie, he realizes that, uh, you know, his girlfriend breaks up with him and he starts to, you know, look at times in his family's home and then he meets people along the way. And, and it goes back to what we were saying before. It's like, you start a movie thinking you're going to make this thing and you end up making this thing. And that to me, and you can be funny along the way and you can be serious and you can talk about serious things and also talk to the girls that you meet along the way. And that to me was just this incredible feeling of being free in the form of, of documentary, right? Like he's, yeah. he is, he's this weird guy. Ross McAuley is a genius, but at the same time he's depressed and he's, you know, going through a breakup and, yet he's talking about um, life and himself and his family and all of these things because he's also from the South. And it's, it's just kind of extraordinary to be able to know that you can, you can tell any story you want and everyone seems to have a story. You just look deep enough. Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. I get what Joe's saying too, because it was, wasn't it, I feel like it was one of those ones that um, Siskel and Ebert championed in the f- relatively early days of their show, um, which is probably how I heard about it. And, but yeah, it hasn't, um, it's not one of those films that comes up a lot these days, I feel like, but it definitely takes you back to a certain place in time. But yeah, it's a really interesting film. Yeah, yeah. One of those things where you're sitting there going, are you allowed? I didn't know this. This is a, I guess you can do this. Sure. It's really happening to him. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Or it's what he chooses to, to make his film about. Right. And it's yeah. like, sometimes when I think that's why I like documentaries so much is that after a while in uh, traditional Hollywood films, you tend to see a, the same kind of structure or you kind of can, you know, sometimes predict what the next scene's going to be um, mm-hmm. with, you know, it's stranger than fiction. Like you can't, it's, it's, you just don't know what's going to happen. You can't write this stuff. Real life don't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right. Right. And then yeah. that, that brings me to capturing the Freedmans, Ooh. which yeah. I'm sorry if I'm just snapping along. No, here. no, 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 oh, no. It's great. That's really great. But that film is exactly one of those moments, right? Like uh, Andrew Jarecki was making a film um, about um, children's parties in New York City and was filming like party entertainers like clowns and magicians and the like. And so he was making a, a, sh- a short, I believe, and it was, um, it was called Just a Clown, right? So he's filming a clown and then he finds out that clowns who he's been filming his that clown's father and brother had been um charged with being um with with sexual abuse and so that film goes into like this you think you're going one way and then you get whipped around into another way and then you start following the family and then you start to see the the you you tend to you start to like the family and then you're like is he guilty is he not guilty like talk about cliffhanger Right. Um, I think it's one of the, the best edited documentaries um, as well, because it's really one that I mean, Richard Hankin edited it, who was one of my advisors at the Sundance Lab. And I remember spending a lot of time with him talking about um, perception and story and how do you how do you surprise an audience? And it's in those subtle moments where you 
you have those glances where you feel like you're connecting with somebody and then the next thing you know in the next scene they're just horrible and you don't mm. you just it's just makes for a dramatic cinema and i love that movie for that reason so wasn't he he's the guy who did the jinx right the one about um uh durst yes that durst one the one yes. where he left he goes to the bathroom right yeah, and he leaves the mic on. Mic yes. on yes yeah. yes i did it so i killed, should, them. I killed them all it, Joe. obviously it's uh <laughs> unforgettable <laughs> although it's a little it's one of those ones where you get into sort of the, the question of of um because obviously they shot this stuff sometime in the past and they're editing this show and releasing it weekly and you know around about episode five or six they drop the bombshell of the guy who's been accused of these murders and you're pretty sure he did it but you're not 100 certain and he gets up to him from an interview and he goes in the bathroom and he's got his microphone on and he mumbles to himself that's right. I killed them all. And it's, it's, can you just sit on that until you your episode airs and then alert the authorities? I don't know. That just, or is that what happened? I don't know. It all just seemed kind of. Yeah. Depends on your ethics. Oh, yes, I, morals and ethics. <laughs> overrated in Hollywood. What are you talking Washington, about? Washington, D.C. as well. <laughs> exactly. I, you know what? I shouldn't, should I name it? Um, actually, I want to ask you a question about a doc. And and um, you can tell me if we should cut this part as well. There's there's an insane, really obscure documentary called "I Think We're Alone Now." Have you ever heard of this? And no. It's um, it is about uh, the documentary makers have found two people independently of each other who are the biggest fans of Tiffany on the planet. Um, one is a very odd guy who ends up uh, eventually moving his affections over to I can't remember who some TV actress. And the other is a transgender woman who had an accident and was in a coma briefly. And while she was in a coma, Tiffany came to her and told her, you know, she loved her and was her best friend. And it sort of follows their lives for a while. And then the documentary makers do something, which um, I'm going to hell for saying this probably, but feels to me incredibly unethical, but also makes for a very entertaining film. They introduce the two of them. Oh. Does that seem where, where, like? Well, well, I'm curious. Why do you think that's unethical? Well, because these are people who are clearly uh, damaged and clearly functioning in worlds where, like, the one guy is convinced that she loves him, and I believe she's got a restraining order on him. And the other woman has never, like, she's never. She goes to they go to they go to the transgender woman's first Tiffany concert together. The other guy's been to a ton of them. Um, and she's convinced that she's got this relationship with her. And of course, you know, they're very nice to each other at first, but they start squabbling and it gets very, but you're like, I don't know, is that, is it, should you be shattering people's kind of, I don't that, know. I, whatever works. <laughs> Makes for great movies. It is entertaining. That's the problem. <laughs> it is entertaining. I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check that one out. Um, but, you know, that brings me to these two films that, you know, one is um, The Mole Agent, which mm. came out this year that was yeah. nominated for an Oscar. And then also this other film that kind of blew my mind. And I think it blew away most people who saw it. I don't know if you guys saw it a few years ago called The Act of Killing, which oh God, when yeah. I saw that film, I just was like, I just put my hands up and I was like, I'm not, I can't make any more movies. It's like perfection, <laughs> right? It's just like how he's Joshua Oppenheimer. It's just, just genius. But, but both of those films do that in a way, like they kind of cross these lines a bit or uh, inspired conversation about that, so to speak. But 
The Mole Agent is a, is a film about a, uh, a private detective who hires, who wants to investigate a, an old folks home in Chile where there's uh, allegations of elder abuse going on. So what he does is he, um, he hires a, an, an, a mole, basically, to infiltrate uh, an 80-something-year-old man to go in and pretend that he's moving in as a regular resident, but he's actually reporting back to the PR, did to the PI. And what's, that sounds pretty straightforward, but when the filmmaker, who's actually a wonderful filmmaker and incredible, incredibly talented woman, she, um, she goes and starts filming in that, um, that nursing home for months before the mole agent is actually introduced to the story, all the while knowing that that was going to happen. Because right. what she did is she created a, um, a space where people started to forget that the camera was there and then introduced him and was able to film everything because no one thought that they were filming him, that he was just one of the people they were filming. So is that ethical? Is that ethical to be in that space telling people you're making a film about something else, right. you're making a different kind of film? But isn't yeah, that just sort of like going undercover? you know, uh, in, a, in an undercover crime bust. Except usually not everything that you do in, is in front of a camera, right? For the people, the ordinary people who are in that nursing home thought, oh, they were just making a film about a nursing home. But really the film, and so then it goes into those people's lives, right? Like what's great about the movie, it's really funny and it's, it's um, magical to watch because it's so natural. That like, you know, the cup, because he's the new single bachelor, the like older ladies start to fall in love with him and they start competing for his affections and you it just becomes a great movie. But it's so sad this one I hope they got falls. a lot of signed releases. Yeah, that, yeah, I wondered about that. <laughs> exactly. there, there's the one woman who just falls completely in love with him and he's got, no, he's very nice and you can see why they would, but, you know, he's going home. He's got, he's got, not a wife, but he's got a family and a, the life and he's not going to stick around and he's not marrying anybody and you just kind of feel for them yeah it, it's it's an interesting film i had so many questions just about how they did it yeah that, um, me too I, yeah. I i yeah i don't know if i could make a film like that um using that technique but i sure enjoyed watching it and i think she's mate alberti is really incredible yeah. i think he got then, nominated for an oscar last year yeah it was yeah. nominated last year yeah. And then the act of killing, which is a completely yeah. different movie, but also is a an interesting sort of filmmaker inserting themselves into the story, um, transgression or you know is it you know revelatory? It it basically blurs this sort of fact and fiction. It's a story of um, of filmmakers who go back to Indonesia. They are trying to take make a film about the Indonesian genocide, and they find uh, one of the people who was involved um, in that and actually was had actually killed a lot of people um, and asked him to kind of re recreate those scenes of the when killings, he did this yeah. killing. And it's kind of like this um, blurring of like of cinema, right? Like fan there's fantasy in there, but there's also this like mo these moments that happen that unfold in front of the camera that wouldn't have happened if the filmmakers hadn't um, instigated them. It's yeah. a very, it's a very bizarre film, and when you uh, when you watch it, you can't help but wonder how much of it has been, you know, instigated yeah. by the fact that they wanted to do this. I mean, the guy is so cooperative. 
<laughs> it's like, okay, sure you are. Here's how I did it. You know, I punched his eyes out. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's shocking, you know, but uh, it's also absurd. Yeah, it is. It, it does feel like you're watching some kind of surrealist cinema, right? Like just like crazy, but then there is this, I don't know is it, you could use the word redemption for, you know, a genocidal killer, but there is a moment of retribution, I guess, so to speak. Um, More realization. Realization is probably a better word for it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think, I, I think I hit 10, didn't I? Or maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those are. No, you did great. Right. And, and, and also there's so many movies that haven't been discussed on our podcast. You know, one of our, one of our, not a problem, but one of our recurring, uh, things that we have to do with is that uh, you know the, many times there's there's a lot of movies everybody loves and when it says the movies that made me people very often will you know they'll go to the pictures that we and they and everybody listening already love uh, but when you get guests who can talk about movies that are just as worthy and just as interesting but are you know more not on everybody's the tip of everybody's tongue and 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 the whole idea behind the trailers on our website was because we wanted to introduce people to uh, movies that could be recommended by filmmakers uh, and get them interested in pictures that they wouldn't know existed otherwise. And so that's also the idea behind the podcast. So when we can get somebody on like you, who is, you know, uh, you know, very well versed and loves loves the genre and can talk up a lot of interesting movies that probably many of our listeners didn't know existed. Uh, it's it just sort of validates the whole premise. It's so much fun to listen to your show. So I'm just I, I'm just had a blast um, thinking about these movies because I could have gone on for for many many more. And there's so many great films that I just want to encourage people to not be afraid of documentaries and you know really enjoy uh, watching it for what it is, not just for the content or the message. Yeah. Because sometimes we you know I think sometimes with with when award season goes around, it's like, is it a worthy topic? Like it's something important, but it's really a, you know, a cinematic craft. And, and as we're all filmmakers or those of us who love cinema, like we love seeing how, how did they do that? Right. Like how did they make yeah. that guy fly or how did they make this guy confess in a real life situation? Yeah. I mean, I think of, 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 I can't think of, you know, and as somebody who sort of grew up making movies with my friends and so forth, I'm probably, um, you know, grading it on an even, even weaker curve. I'm, I'm, I'm undergrading it, I suppose, but I can't think of anything, you know, more trivial than a bunch of mooks making movies with like super eight cameras in their trail, like these idiots, they work their day jobs and they make these terrible models. Like that's not a subject for a fit documentary. I remember almost every line of dialogue for American movie. It's been 22 years. I've seen it 15 friggin' times. I mean, it's like, yeah, as you say, it's like, there's no subject that is, um, uh, not not worthy and not potentially interesting. Um, and these are, yeah, no, these are some great ones. I really, I, I love going away from doing one of these where I've got like uh, assignments. Sometimes people talk about movies that they love, and I'm going, eh, that's not for me. But but um, uh, definitely primary. Have to go. Have to go check that out. And and um, yeah, I didn't know about Marinaire's box. Yeah, they're oh, cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Good. So you go off and watch them, and then we'll go have drinks in the backyard again. 
Yes. And we'll and, good and tequila like you brought last time. And and then we'll strong arm Walton a little bit more and eventually we'll get him on too. But, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thanks, yes. guys. Yeah, thank no, you, thank you. It's not that was this is wonderful. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. These are some great films. I hope people will check them out. And yeah, Joe, we're gonna do more doc episodes. Back with me. Have her back. I'm, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.